Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. What's up? Monday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Wherever you're listening, glad to have you along for the ride this afternoon. Where you're on the Mississippi Gulf Coast or in northeast Mississippi or somewhere in the Delta or any point in between, thanks for jumping on board and thanks for those of you that are listening either online or on the app outside the state of Mississippi. Good to have you along. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. At Mississippi Land Bank, they've been financing land and the stuff that's related to a land uh, to the land for over a hundred years. And if you have land financing needs, whether you're a farmer or not, then um, Mississippi Land Bank can help. MSLandBank.com. You can find a branch location or the phone number at that website. And they would love to hear from you. We'd love to hear from you, too, this afternoon. You can do that. You can connect with us on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Borky, how was your weekend? It was good. I watched a lot of football, which is weird to say in February, but I did. Yeah? You're on board with the AAF? Yeah, and... There were I saw some people and in, in people in the media, you know, complaining that it wasn't like high level NFL, and people just didn't really have perspective on what the product was going to be going in. But I mean, it it moved quickly. the The Memphis Birmingham game yesterday was two and a half hours, perfect for a game that you're not emotionally invested in, perfect. And it okay. was a high enough level of football to keep you interested. I mean, no, it wasn't the NFL. It wasn't watching Drew Brees and the Saints play every Sunday, but it was a bunch of guys that played high-level college football and have had cups of coffee one way or other in the NFL. Like the Birmingham quarterback, I forget his name off the top of my head, he threw for 9,000 yards in two seasons at Texas A&M Commerce, won the D2 Heisman Trophy, whatever it's called. Kid could play. So it it was a high enough level of football. It moved quickly. I, I liked everybody being mic'd up. It was a good product. I'll watch it again. Ratings on television were pretty good for the opening weekend. The question is whether or not those will continue, and I don't think you're going to continue to have many games on the big CBS. I think it's going to be CBS Sports Network primarily for the uh, for the games. Hey, Dad, how was your weekend? Busy, right? Busy weekend. A lot of uh, you know uh, basketball, obviously, up here. Uh, the men and the women, but much like Michael Borky, I found some time to watch uh, football as well. You, so you two are on board with the uh, with the alliance. I am. I am. I, I thought it was a, you know, it was like high level college football. I mean, it wasn't NFL. You know, it wasn't as, as clean and as crisp as that. But 
the players' names were recognizable to me. I like seeing Steve Spurrier there on the sideline uh, Saturday night. That, that, that was fun. And, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. You know what I noticed with, um, with the Alliance over the weekend? The return of Starter. The only yeah. time I have seen Starter brand in the last 20 years was when Tony Romo was wearing it. Tony Romo had a sponsorship deal, a marketing deal with Starter. So you'd see him wearing a starter hat or, you know, a starter pullover. I've not seen it anywhere since like fifth grade when everybody had the, the half zip team starter pullover jackets that had the hoods on them. And then occasionally you would see the, the guys that had like the, the satin jackets, like the old school late eighties, like the 49ers gold jacket that, you know, had the logo on it. So starter is making a return via the alliance. How about that? Rippy, good weekend. It was. It was a good weekend. I watched the Alliance on Sunday. wasn't able to Saturday, unfortunately, but I got, I liked it. I would watch it again. Yeah, I think that's kind of how people feel about it, right? It's like, ah, football, yeah. Hey, is this going to have any effect at all? Somebody asked me an interesting question today. said, what do you think the SEC thinks of the Alliance of American Football? Is there a scenario where, on any level, the AAF cuts into revenues, sponsorship dollars, anything for college football. The only way it could have an impact if, is if they start stealing players, right? Because as far as advertising and stuff, the viewership is different, the attendance is going to be different, it's a different time of year, but if the AAF decides that they want to offer Trevor Lawrence 250k to play with a bunch of guys that played in the NFL and, and still can play in the NFL, that might make it different. But from a revenue like like advertising dollars, I, I don't see them competing against each other. Do you? Not really. No, I just something something to think about. I mean, but the player thing is interesting to me because it that will if they decide to go that route. I think that would make them stick more than just being an NFL minor league, which sounds like that's their goal. They kept talking about, on every broadcast, it was these guys getting back to the NFL, and the NFL is watching this league really closely, and practice squad versus playing in the AAF, that kind of stuff was fed to us all weekend during these games. It sounds like that's the angle they want it to take as the minor league of the NFL. And that's a smart approach, because if you go into this saying, hey – we're going to knock off the NFL. We're going to be a legitimate competitor to the NFL. I got news for you. You are uh, you're you're going down a road that is a dead end, and you're going to run into a roadblock pretty quickly. Um, but looking for some sort of a partnership, yeah, maybe not a bad thing at all. So the AAF kicked off its first season. Reviews, as you can hear here, pretty good. Borky says. We lifelong suffering Memphis Express fans have seen nothing but bad quarterback play for basically the entire existence of our franchise. <laughs> Hackenberg is something. He's awful. That guy was supposed to be the number one overall pick coming out of college, and he is terrible. And he still got taken in the second round. Like he <laughs> fell, but he was still a second round pick. Somewhere along the way, he traded feet for like tree stumps because he can't move <laughs> at. All. Not at all. Uh, news coming today that Kyler Murray is going to go with football exclusively. Says his lifelong dream is to be a, uh, his passion has been 
with football. His dream has been to be an NFL football player, an NFL quarterback, and he is going to commit 100% of his time to uh, playing professional football. So, uh, and, and that was a pretty uh, reliable source, by the way. That was from Kyler Murray on Twitter. A uh, new statement out from Southern Miss, trying to kind of put last week in the rearview mirror and move forward, maybe a, uh, a conciliatory statement, uh, depending on how you look at it. Uh, we won't spend a bunch of time on that this afternoon, uh, but we will touch on it coming up a little bit later. Mississippi State and Ole Miss both with basketball games over the weekend. There's actually a replay of Mississippi State's game against Kentucky on the uh, the SEC Network right now. I was not able to watch it live so I've kind of been trying to follow it along. Kentucky had an 18-point lead in the second half. Mississippi State made a big, big run. Hey, had a painfully close loss for the Bulldogs on Saturday at the hump. Yeah, and that's three of their last four that have been painfully close, and two of them have played in this exact same um, scenario where State dug a big hole in the first half and, and got it a great run and tried to, to come out of it, but it just wasn't enough. And Kentucky, they hit the shots they had to hit uh, – towards the end of that game, and, and State just could never get all the way back. Was the hump full on Saturday? On Saturday it was, yes. Okay. It looked like a good crowd on TV. I just couldn't tell from an end zone shot. I think because it's dark upstairs in the end zone, um, it was hard to hard to see if they were full up there. But so, so back-to-back days over the weekend with big crowds in Starkville for basketball. We'll get to the Mississippi yeah. State women's game coming up. A historic... Sunday afternoon in Starkville. Rippy Ole Miss needed a win at Georgia. More, more than more than needing a win, they needed not a loss, which is also a win, and they got it. They did, and outside the first, what, you were there probably, what, just four or five minutes of that game where they kind of got blitz coming out from the, out the gate, and then after that they played really well. Probably, probably one of their more complete games of the season. Georgia hit its four, first four threes in the game. They came out of the gate four of four from behind the arc. And if you're looking at it from an Ole Miss perspective, that's a little scary because as bad as Georgia has been in a game against Texas like three weeks ago in the SEC Big 12 Challenge, they shot 67% from the field and 70% from behind the arc in that building. And so if you're looking at it, you go, um, is today going to be like this? Georgia led by 10. It was 18 to 8, four and a half minutes in. And then Ole Miss carried a 12 point lead into the locker room. So a 22 point first half swing. Uh, and then Ole Miss kind of cruised through the second half. Baseball is back this week. We are four days away from opening day. And, you know, the best news is everywhere in the state of Mississippi on Friday, it's going to be 75 and sunny. In your mind. It's going to be 75 and sunny in your mind, despite the fact that rain is forecast and the temperatures are going to be in the mid-50s. But baseball is back. Winners and losers coming your way an hour from right now. And a whole lot more with you on this Monday at Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi Monday afternoon. Let's dive in and look at basketball from the weekend. We will start in Starkville. Mississippi State hosting the Kentucky Wildcats. Bulldogs outscored Kentucky by 11 in the second half, 42-31. 
but lost the game 71-67. From a scoring standpoint, Mississippi State with just two guys in double figures. Lamar Peters had 16 points on 6 of 13 shooting. He hit four threes. And Quindary Weatherspoon had 14 points on 4 of 12 in the ballgame. Hey, Dad, not a, not a new scenario necessarily, um, but post-production uh, against a really talented front court for Kentucky was almost non-existent in the game. Yeah, and, and Reggie Perry got in early foul trouble. That certainly didn't help that. Um, Holman, sort of the same thing that happened in the Ole Miss game. He, he hit the bench early in the second half and, and never came back. Uh, dude, it just is what he is at this point. So... Yeah, State didn't get much out of its front court, and that's, that's a big reason why uh, they, they took the loss on, on Saturday. Kind of walk me through the range of emotions in that ballgame, because a lot of buildup, a lot of excitement, a noon game on CBS, good crowd in the place, fall down big, and then pretty good comeback. Yeah, and you know, State was actually going bucket for bucket with them in the uh, – in the first half, for about the first seven, eight minutes, I want to say State had a 17-15 to 15 lead at, the, at one point. Uh, but then Kentucky goes on a run, and they take that 15-point that lead into the half. And I think there was a, just a general, okay, they're, they're just better, and they're going to lose this game. And then the comeback happens, and the crowd's into it, and, and everybody's, you know, you, you, you think it's going to happen. State got as close as one point, and they could just never get over the hump, and Kentucky – push it back to three, push it back to five, and so on and so forth, and and end up getting the win. So at the end, it was sort of deflating, for very 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 much so, because you thought you had a chance there to, to get the lead a couple of times, and, and Kentucky would make a ridiculous shot, or State would get a good look and just miss. I think State was five of 13 on layups in this game. I mean, just opportunities Ooh. right there at the rim that they couldn't, contrib- they couldn't convert. What did you think of Kentucky? First time you had seen them in person. That, that my initial um, opinion of them is correct, that this isn't a team that has the DeMarcus Cousins, Anthony Davis, Carl, Dan- Carl Anthony Towns, that, that, that top, that guaranteed top five pick, but they're a really, really good team. They play, they play pretty well together. Now, John Calipari disagrees with my assessment. He was, I, I love doing his press conferences because nobody is harder on his team, even when they're great. Than, than John Calipari is, and he, he was just really, you know, he's like, hey, I thought we played, you know, we were glad to win, but, you know, didn't play very well today and, and was very honest about that. Uh, but I think it's a good team. They can make a deep run in March. They, they've got players at the right position, so they got guys who aren't afraid to take the big shot. Do you think Kentucky's good enough to win a national championship? I don't think they're good enough to beat Duke. So if they ever had to play Duke, no. I mean, I guess that's the thing. I mean, there's probably a group of teams that you can look at and you can go, these are the teams that could potentially win a national championship, but just because you're the best team in college basketball doesn't mean you're the favorite to win it all. I mean, so much of it is about matchups and the road that you get to the Final Four um, based on the bracket and kind of how you fall and what the matchups look like. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me, Duke is the best team in in college basketball. and so You like them more than Tennessee? I do. I do. I think they have higher because and somebody's made that that comment about um, with a recruiting perspective. You know, they have no top one hundred players. Well, Duke has two guys who might go one two in the NBA draft. I mean, I just sort of have to take the I got to take the talent there. So, yeah, I think if those two teams play each other, Duke's going to win. 
See, I, I would I would fall in the category of Duke is the most talented team in college basketball. And I'm not even sure that it's close. I mean, the, the, the three-headed combination of Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett and Cam Reddish, I mean, good luck finding three players on any other team as good as those three collectively. It can't be done. Not not this year. Maybe teams in the past you could do that, but, but this year it can't be done. But you don't have to look hard in recent years to find out what the formula is for winning a national championship. And it's having veterans. And Duke is not going to shoot it from three the way they did on Saturday night against Virginia every time out. They were shooting 29% in ACC games from behind the arc going into the Virginia game, and then they just lit it up. Just a little bit of an off-night shooting against a really, really good team, I think Duke could be in trouble. They, they could be, but that's true about everybody, right? I mean, it, if you don't shoot the ball well, you're not well, going to fair. win. Yeah, that's fair. For most points. So I, I, I just think that that, that that trio you mentioned there, that's going to be really hard to overcome. And, and you're right, you know, Villanova has won with experience, but just a couple years ago, Kentucky was winning it. Uh, and and these, some teams have won it with with you know one and done guys. So and plus you know from a coaching perspective, Mike Shashevsky. I mean, who knows more about winning in March than that guy does? So, I, I, like I said, right now, if you said Brian, put your money down on somebody, it, it's Duke. Borky, do you think State's an NCAA tournament team? Yeah, they are. They are, especially with the stretch coming up. I mean, they've got to get. They have to take care of business, but. I think I said this on Thursday when you were out. People severely overestimate how good the bubble is. Bad teams make the NCAA tournament every year. Mississippi State's not a bad team, and they will have a resume that is indicative of that. And as of right now, with the exception of South Carolina, no real bad losses. So they're fine. People just forget how bad the bubble is. 68 teams have to make the tournament, so... I mean, find a way to get to 500 in the SEC play and don't be one and done in the SEC tournament, and it's all good. The problem for State is this, that they got to start winning basketball games because you look at who they have coming up. Number 62 in the net, Arkansas. Number 87, Texas A&M. Number 91 is Missouri. 99 is South Carolina. you got to play them again. 114, Georgia. If you lose any of those games and they're all remaining on the schedule – it's going it's to kill you. It's going to kill you. They have to find a way to win these games. I mean, I think we think we all agree they were probably going to lose it at Auburn at Tennessee. I don't know that they can drop another one, and that starts tomorrow night against Alabama. So the remaining schedule for Mississippi State as they sit at 4-6 and six in league play with eight games to play. Alabama, Arkansas, Georgia, South Carolina, Missouri. Those are the next five games. Got to win four, don't you? I think you've got to win four. I think you got to go five and zero. Well, the the road to so so at four and six. If they go four and four, I'm sorry, four and one in the next five games, then you're at eight and seven in league play. Mm -hmm. Likely lose back to back road games against Auburn and Tennessee. To fall to eight and nine, and then a win against Texas A and M gets you to nine and nine in the league. And you're on the bubble, but I think you're in at nine and nine. But don't lose day one of the SEC tournament if you're nine and nine. Yeah, you're gonna have to. You may have to win a game in Nashville. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I agree with you. That's a slate of games in which they could go 5-0. and And if you go 5-0, and you feel really good about where you are going into the final three games of the regular season. But Alabama's a little tricky, right? I mean, lost that game in Tuscaloosa, and they're an athletic, physical team. Yeah. Arkansas is a road game, and while Arkansas doesn't scare you a lot, they are a much better basketball team at home at Bud Walton than they are on the road. And they beat LSU on the road. I mean, they obviously have it in them to win some games. Georgia's a disaster. I don't think anybody's going to run away from South Carolina. I mean, it's like South Carolina just has the ability to be close in every game, and that scares you if it's a close game at the end. You've already lost to them once. Yeah, you know, Missouri should be a, a slam dunk. I think should. Auburn and Tennessee are both road losses. I think those two teams, especially in their buildings, are really, really good. I don't think t- with Tennessee it matters. I think Auburn at home is a nightmare for anybody. Right. You did already beat Auburn in Starkville, but yeah, we'll see. And then A&M. Uh, you know, A&M to close out the season, that's a game you absolutely have to win if you want to be an NCAA tournament team. Correct. And as you said, it gets started tomorrow night. Game against Alabama in Starkville. And is it six o'clock or is it the eight the, the later tip? It's the eight o'clock game. Okay, so the eight o'clock game. Hey, maybe a night where a team kind of has to bring its own energy. I, I believe that will be the case. Yeah. Mississippi State sitting at sixteen and seven overall and four and six in the SEC. We'll turn the page from Starkville to Athens. Look at Ole Miss's win on the road this weekend uh, against the Georgia Bulldogs, and we'll look ahead at what the Rebels have on the horizon. Here's a little hint. Wednesday night's going to be tough on the road for Ole Miss. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Winners and losers coming up to start the 4 o'clock hour this afternoon. Just talked a little about Mississippi State's tough loss at home against Kentucky on Saturday. Ole Miss went on the road to Stegman Coliseum in Athens against a Georgia team that has struggled. They have lost eight in a row in the uh, in the SEC and I guess had lost three in a row coming in, three or four in a row. The one win and all of that stretch was against Texas in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. And yet, out of the gate, a little scary for Ole Miss as uh, Georgia was 7 of 9 from the field and 4 of 4 from 3 to uh, to start the game. Rippy, you, you watched it, sorry, uh, beginning to end on, uh, on Saturday. What was your takeaway? Outside, like I said a, a minute ago, really outside the first four or five minutes, I thought it was one of their more efficient games of the year. They played really well. I think a lot of that is a pretty bad matchup. I mean, Ole Miss has really good guard play, three really good guards, and, and Georgia does does not, just to say the least. And so, you know, they kind of got blitzed out of the gate, but after that they settled down, they took good shots. The biggest takeaway for me was, Bruce Stevens pulled nine rebounds and did a lot of good things on both ends. And if they can somehow find a way to get him to go to the glass with that sort of effort on a nightly basis, they will be a different-looking team. And, you know, the uh, the other part of that is Georgia actually has some big bodies. 
Georgia's not a bad rebounding team. I mean, Derek Ogbede and Nicholas Claxton, eh, you know, they've got some guys that can go to the glass. Borky, what what did you think watching on Saturday? Well, that was the exact game they needed from Blake Henson. More so than Tyree's big day, because you kind of expect him to to be your team leader, the veteran, uh, the best overall player on that team. But when you get three of five from the three-point line from Blake Henson, just being that complimentary player is a big deal for that team. Because if Schuler, even though he looks a little bit more healthy, Terrence Davis is so inconsistent that just having that complimentary player to your three guards score efficiently the way he did is a huge deal for them. The thing with Henson, I I agree with what Borky's saying. The thing with Henson is they've got to have – They've got to find a way for to get him to affect games in other ways when he's not making shots. Because you can even see it from his body language when he's making jump shots. Like he's, you know, that guy do, loves to strike yeah, a pose. Doing doing poses afterwards. He's got you know more energy. He's more demonstrative. So when that's not happening, like they need him to be better defensively and they need him to be a better rebounder. Too the point we were talking about earlier. Georgia came in as grabbing 40.4 rebounds a game, which is first in the SEC. They're fourth in offensive rebounds and, I believe, third in defensive rebounds per game. So actually a really good def- rebounding team. Yeah, Ole Miss out-rebounded Georgia 38-32. And on the offensive end, out-rebounded them by four, 13-9. So pretty good performance all the way around. Brian Tyree was really, really good. 31 points, which tied a career high. He had 31 in the SEC opener against Vanderbilt. Played 36 minutes in the game. Um, iced it at the free throw line at the end. Couple of steals. Not a lot of assists. This, so if you rewind to the Mississippi State game in Starkville, you remember the basically the opening sequence of the game, how Tyree went down on his shoulder? And if you watch, he's got that black compression tape or whatever that's been on his shoulder for the last few games. You, you had that injury... And you had Devontae Schuler come out of that game with the stress reaction in his foot. Devontae Schuler right now is wearing a boot every time he's not playing in a game. He, he, he has been in a boot since the game against Mississippi State and doesn't practice. And Brian Tyree has been really limited in the amount of practice time that he's had as they've continued to try and get his shoulder well. He's played really well the last four or five games. Um, but this is a team that, yeah, people talk about depth issues all the time. I don't think anybody wants to hear about depth issues in college basketball. Everybody's got injuries, everybody loses players, and the best teams seem to only play seven or eight players anyway. So nobody really wants to hear that. But it seems to matter more in practice scenarios. If you don't have, you know, if you can't run five on five at each other. Hey, Dad, a, a year or maybe it was two years ago, that was something Mississippi State was having to deal with. I mean, they didn't have a yeah. full complement of players to be able to run five-on-five five in practice. Yeah, I know Rick Ray's second year, they had eight scholarship guys on the roster. And one, and one of those was Duranya Wilson. <laughs> oh, jeez. Well, he wasn't a basketball scholarship guy. Yeah, I guess, yeah, so... I don't know if they counted him as a walk-on. I don't know how that works, but yeah, they didn't, they didn't have a lot of guys. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah. But that's something that everybody – I mean, I was at SMU Thursday night. they got seven guys right now. Seven that can practice. 
they got managers and assistant coaches and whatever else just trying to scrimmage every great once in a while. So I say all that to say that, that injuries have played a role for Ole Miss because they've got basically an eight-man rotation with Buffin, Stevens, and D.C. Davis coming off the bench. And if they get in foul trouble or if they have a player not produce, then they can find themselves in trouble. The other part of this thing with Ole Miss right now is the schedule has kind of turned in their favor. You know, Ole Miss lost, what, four of five? Is that right? Was four in a row, five of six, I believe. So, so in that stretch of losing five out of six, it was a loss to LSU, more talented. They beat Arkansas. Lost to Alabama, more athletic, deeper. Lost to Iowa State, way more talented. Lost to Florida, that's the one you probably say you should have won in that stretch. Lost to Mississippi State, who is more talented than Ole Miss. They played. They lost to good teams. They did, that's why none of those. I think that's why. And Borky alluded to the bubble being really, really soft earlier. And I think that's why you didn't see as much movement with regards to NCAA tournament prognostications. Because usually, five out of six is a game or two away from a free fall in most years. And you know they didn't really move that much. And I think that's part of it. It's because they lost to good teams. They didn't really hurt themselves with any of the losses. And, and Borky, so if you're looking at that seven game snapshot. Ole Miss won the three games that it was supposed to win, and it lost the four that it was supposed to lose, although, again, I would say the Florida game is one where you, you're you frustrated. Yeah, they probably should have won that game. I mean, shoulda, coulda, woulda, you got to make the plays, but they had that game won and just kind of let it slip out of their grasp. But you're right. There is a, a point here that even though they lost four games in a row, that maybe they didn't even play that poorly except for in Tuscaloosa. I mean, the way Iowa State shot the basketball, you're not beating them no matter what. So even though they lost a bunch of games in the row or in a row, I didn't look at them and think that, oh, no, they're regressing back to the mean. I still thought in that stretch of games that this team is better than I expected them to be, if that makes any sense at all. I think so, too. I think other than Alabama, as you mentioned, and – about a five-minute stretch in the last eight minutes of that state game. Those are really the only times you're like, man, this team kind of looks like a mess. But the rest of it was, to your point, them playing pretty good competition. In, including the game against Georgia this past Saturday, Ole Miss needs to have a stretch where they win four out of five games. It's going to be incredibly difficult to win against Auburn on the road on Wednesday night. Auburn's really good, especially at home. And Ole Miss has beaten them already this year. So in some ways, it's kind of a free shot. I mean, a win against Auburn is massive. But then Ole Miss needs to beat Missouri at home. They really need to win at South Carolina. Not because that's an easy game or a game you just expect to win, but because South Carolina, from a a numbers standpoint, is right around 100 in the net. And then they need to beat Georgia when they play them again at home. And if they win three of those next four, if you want to call it four or five, including this past Saturday, then they are at nine wins in league play with four to play. Problem is, two of those four are against Tennessee and Kentucky, the number one and number five team in the country. And the other two are road games. At Arkansas, whereas we were talking about with Mississippi State a moment ago, they're better. Arkansas's better at Bud Walton than they are on the road, and then you got to go to Missouri, who's a train wreck. At two and eight. 
Nine is reasonable. Ten is possible. More than ten, it's kind of hard to see. Because if, if, if for Ole Miss to get to 11, they would likely have to beat either Auburn on the road or Tennessee or Kentucky at home. Yeah, they have a decent, I'd call it a puncher's chance to get to 10, and 10 is where you go to Nashville and not really having to worry about a whole lot. That's kind of the position they put themselves in by having a 2-0 week last week. Which is a better spot to be in than you're looking at the final eight games of the regular season and go, well, I mean, if you go 6-2, and two, you could get to the NCAA tournament. Or if you go 7-1, and one, come on now. Saying... You know, really, if you go four and five in the last, or well, four and four, whatever, in the last eight games, man, you, you're a tournament team regardless of what happens in Nashville. That's a whole lot more manageable. Sports Talk Mississippi with you and the Renaissance Bank Studio. What about. Just after four o'clock with you, Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. You can text the show on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. We do this on Mondays. It's called Winners and Losers. We got winners. We got losers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. All right, what is it we call this snake draft? Is that, is that what you guys call it? Yeah, snake draft. Even though we don't exactly do it correctly because in a snake draft, the person that goes last is supposed to yeah, go twice, okay, but it doesn't yeah. matter. We're, I get it. Yeah. We'll just do a bit of a... Uh, around the horn. Around the horn. How about that? Start with the winners. Lefty finishes off his 44th career PGA Tour win. I'm sorry, professional win earlier this morning. He went from three down going into the final round to up three. Mickelson is now second to Tiger Woods in career earnings and is the second player in the history of golf to win $90 million on the course. By the way, that doesn't count the um, the match. Not official tour winnings there. $90 million can he win the U.S. Open at Pebble this year? Can he? Sure. That's the one major that he's missing from completing the career Grand Slams. The one that maybe for his entire career he's wanted the most. Although I'm sure he really wanted that green jacket also. But the U.S. Open's always been a really big deal to fill. We'll see if he gets it. So he won at Pebble Beach this week, fifth time that he had won the uh, the Pebble Beach Pro-Am. And uh, that was a record. And, oh, by the way, U.S. Open at Pebble Beach this year in June. Rippy, what's your winner? The AAF. Okay. I thought it was about, particularly the Saturday night, from the bits and pieces I saw and, and highlights after it, it was about as good of a debut as you could have hoped for. I don't know if it's sustainable. It'll be interesting to see kind of what... The interest level is when you get into March and have you know college basketball and other things going on. But I thought the football was decent enough. 
I thought it was organized. I thought they did some really cool things with replay that maybe the NFL is going to feel pressure to implement. Like, did you ever did you see the clip where they had the the, the replay, replay official kind of talking it out? Things like that, and then you had the eye in the sky that could change penalties and stuff. I the sky judge, sky judge. Um, they need to change that to eye in the sky. Um, you got to see kind of the mystique of Spurrier on the sideline. Although he wore a hat, total cop out move. That was a disgrace. I wish he had had the visor. Well, what's that all about? I don't know. You think like the equipment manager didn't have a visor, and he they've might, only had eight months to get ready for this? He might be losing hair up top that he doesn't want to show. Aside from that, all in all, I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was cool. It'll be interesting to see how some of these other leagues kind of... Borky, that guy doesn't care about losing hair. You've seen him shirtless <laughs> drinking the banquet beer. You think he cares about a few ho- follicles making their way Man, to the great beyond? Some people have some unique insecurities. I don't know. You're not insecure about your body if you go shirtless <laughs> drinking the banquet beer. Coors Original. Hey, Dad, what is your winner? Number one. Borky sort of, I'm sorry, Rippy uh, sort of swiped it there, but I, I was going to be more specific. The, the wired replay official was the best part of this to me, other than the, the football, because I really enjoyed getting that inside look at the process there. Uh, there was a replay in the Orlando, um, who did they, Atlanta game, where it was. A, I thought it was a touchdown, and they, they take it upstairs. They ruled it incomplete. And she's talking, and she's talking, and she, she thinks it's incomplete. And then she's like, wait, wait, no, 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 let me look at it again. No, it's complete. He got an elbow down. That's a touchdown. I thought that was great. So, yeah, that is something that, in the entrance of transparency, the NFL would be wise to, uh, to look into, in my opinion. Wasn't it, wasn't it nice to realize that replay officials look at replays the same way we look at them? Like yes. we talk ourselves, we can talk ourselves into and out of a call when we're watching replay over and over again. They're doing the exact same thing, trying to get it right. And then there was one, wasn't there one? She was like, "I got no idea, guys. Go with whatever you think's right." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which again, it's how we do it too, right? It's the like, human ah, element. Deal with it. Deal with it. Close enough. Borky, what's your winner? I was also going to have something AAF related. I, I loved. If you're going to have a league that nobody has any emotional investment in, you've got to do other things to keep people engaged. The 30-second commercial breaks, when they had them, which wasn't that often, it's perfect. The the games, there was a blowout between Memphis and Birmingham, and it lasted two hours and 29 minutes from first snap to final snap. It's perfect. Uh, But So I'll, I'll change it to Kyler Murray. He has foregone baseball. He for lack of a better term, kind of screwed over the Oakland A's in the process. But you know what? Make a decision. He, he seems so indecisive. It's finally over. He's going to play football. He's going to be a first-round draft pick. Good on him uh, for doing what you really want to do, even though he kind of left the but A's he, in the dust in the process. But has he been indecisive? Or have we decided that he was indecisive because he didn't give us an immediate answer? Well, it's the biggest decision of this kid's life. Yeah, and I, I'm basing that on interviews I saw of him during Super Bowl week, where he just, even though he wasn't allowed to say much, he just seemed unsure. And maybe because they told him not to say anything and he didn't know how to answer questions. Either way, glad he made a decision and, and glad he picked football and he'll be a first-round pick and good for him. Um, two quick winners for you. Mississippi State women's basketball, a historic win against Tennessee. They handed Tennessee its largest loss in SEC history uh, with their victory. And this was a five-point game in the second half. 
And then yeah. three point game. Was it three? They cut it to three, I believe, at one point. Okay. I had it at five. I missed that Tennessee hit a shot there. But then the butt whooping commenced. And it was one for the ages. You you don't like my characterization there, hey Dad? No, no, it's very fair. The uh I thought I thought if you read Rick Cleveland's article on this game, he said State hit a gear that Tennessee didn't possess. That's accurate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they beat them at every position on the floor in the last, oh, about 16 minutes of that game. Why is Tennessee bad now? Weren't they like the power for a while? Yeah, uh, Pat Summit's not their coach anymore. Well, I gathered that much, but... Well, that... <laughs> yes, I know. I mean, that's when it began to kind of move the other direction. Okay. Uh, with no disrespect intended for Holly Warlick, I mean, good luck following the legend. Um, same mistake. Don't want to be the guy there. that follows the guy. Don't want to be the gal that follows the gal. Evidently, there you go. Uh, losers list for me: Robert Whitaker. Does that name do anything for you guys? Nope. I don't nope. know. Nope. He is an MMA fighter, and Robert Whitaker was supposed to fight in UFC 234. On Saturday night, he backed out. Just copped out. Not going to fight, boys. But he had a pretty good reason. He was admitted to the hospital with a collapsed bowel and a hernia. He apologized to everybody and was like, guys, I'm sorry. I I feel bad for letting my team team down and the fans and the opponent and all those good things. And at some point you want to say to him, you don't really have to apologize you didn't get arrested. You didn't throw a chair at a bus window and get kicked out of the UFC. Your bowel collapsed, and you have a hernia, and you just had emergency surgery, and he joked that apparently if you have emergency surgery, they won't clear you to fight right away. What does a collapsed bowel entail? Like, I feel like that could get messy. <laughs> no pun intended, huh? Jeez. It was... Um, Said to be potentially life-threatening, if not immediately oh, wow. taken care of. So, not that Robert Whitaker is a loser for missing UFC 234, but ugh, tough way to go. I'm not trying to hog it. One more loser, guys. Bottom four in the SEC. Woof. Missouri at 2-8. and eight. A&M at 2-8. and eight. Georgia at 1-9. and nine. And Vanderbilt at 0 and 10. 1 through 10 in the league's pretty doggone good, but 11 through 14, it's pretty clear who's going to be playing on uh, Wednesday night in Nashville this year, the first day of the SEC tournament. But Georgia basketball could have been your winner today. They picked up the number one player in the class of 2019 today. They did. Tom Crean probably should go on the losers list as well. Did you guys hear about that? Threw his entire team under the bus after they lost. They didn't just throw him under the bus. He was actually driving the bus. And once he ran over him, he stopped it, and shifted up. it in reverse, backed up, then spun his tires going forward again. Any other quick losers we need to throw in? The Memphis Express. I mean, for the entire existence of their franchise, they've had bad quarterback play. It's a recurring <laughs> problem and and they got to get it right because us lifelong Memphis Express fans are, are getting really tired of, of just the lacking quarterback play since day Holly one, Willick. really. That's her last trip to Starkville, I believe. 
I uh, thought the Birmingham Irons uniforms were terrible. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. I'm not sure what I said the name of the show was. Sports Talk is what I was trying to say. Sports Bulk. Baseball term. Yeah, well, you know, we're getting close to baseball and whatnot. Sports Talk brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Are you a farmer? Well, if you are, listen up. Farmer in North Mississippi, especially listen up because... Mississippi Land Bank services farmers in North Mississippi. Crop loans, equipment loans, loans to buy new property, need to refinance an existing loan, they can help you with that as well. And they've been doing it for over 100 years. At Mississippi Land Bank, they understand what farmers go through. They also understand that farming is different than it used to be. It's not just throw the seeds in the ground and harvest them when it's time. This is a complex, expensive business. If you're a farmer, you know that. Mississippi Land Bank knows it as well, and they will work with you to get the best rates possible on all your financing needs. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Opening weekend of baseball is coming up. we got plenty of baseball guests that we're going to get to throughout the course of the week. Looking forward to talking with a bunch of different guys about Ole Miss and Mississippi State and Southern Miss as we get set for the opening week. But what about the the schedule this weekend for teams that are from the SEC. Vanderbilt gets the thumbs up for the best opening week slate. They are headed to Talking Stick, Arizona, which, by the way, is the first smart move. Go west or go south. I know everybody likes to play home games early in the season, and that's normally what northern teams do. The idea of going to Talking Stick, Arizona, in the Scottsdale area this weekend for Vanderbilt, not bad. They will open with Virginia on Friday night. On Saturday, they will play number 25, Cal State Fullerton. And on Sunday afternoon, they will play number 19, TCU. That's a pretty good slate of games out of the gate. Here's what everybody else is doing. I guess number two would be Florida who is hosting Long Beach State for a three-game series. That was a uh, an offensively inept Long Beach State team a year ago. Ole Miss also will host them in week three this year. <clears throat> hey, Dad, which one of these series are you most excited about? Eastern Illinois at Arkansas, Presbyterian at Alabama, Liberty at South Carolina, Kentucky at Austin P. Kentucky's going to Austin P. I had to double-check the SEC's website just to make sure that was accurate. That's not the worst one, though. Appalachian State's at Tennessee. Dayton is at Georgia. Wright State at Ole Miss. Youngstown State at Mississippi State. Missouri headed to Jacksonville to face North Florida. Georgia Southern is at Auburn. Fordham is at Texas A&M. ULM is at LSU. What's the worst one, hey, Dad? The worst one is Missouri at North Florida. That's just depressing to think about. Why? I I, I I could not disagree with you more. You're Missouri. you're in Columbia, Missouri, and you're going to Jacksonville. <laughs> oh, you play a three game series that's, that's, against a pretty decent team. You ready for their Friday fine. forecast in Columbia, but you're Missouri. Missouri? Traveling 
to North Florida. Because in Columbia on Friday, the high is 26, and they're expecting snow. It gets a little better Saturday, partly cloudy, high of 32. More snow coming on Sunday. Why don't you check the, the forecast for Jacksonville, ready. Florida, also this weekend? Say Just what, say, hey, Dad? That, that's going to be a the boys of summer, man. Get them up there in Columbia. 28 degrees. Let's go. Jacksonville. It's going to rain this weekend, potentially, but 73-61 Friday, 71-55 Saturday, 75-58 Sunday. I mean, I this guess. Is I'm just SEC saying that is a depressing baseball series to me. Boston College is coming to play four games at Jackson State. Ooh. I found that to be a little bit bizarre. Really? What? Yeah. Friday, doubleheader Saturday, and then Sunday at JSU to open the year. That will be Boston College's second trip to the state of Mississippi in the last uh, three years. What, that 16 regional? Yeah. They built them a new ballpark up there, I think. At Boston College? I think so, yeah, because in 2016 when they came to Ole Miss, much was being made about, I mean, they play at rec leagues here in Mississippi have nicer baseball stadiums than the one they play in, but I think they just got a new one. Yeah, they 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 have issues because they use their baseball stadium's outfield as a parking lot during uh during football season. I don't think they got a new one, Borky. Maybe they did. Wait, how does that work? How do you use a outfield as a parking lot? You take the fence down. Borky, you may be right. I had forgotten all about it. I think they did get a new stadium. Good call, Bork. Yeah, you know, sometimes I say things that are true. I know. Occasionally. Somebody a little closer to home's got a new stadium. Going to open it up on Friday. Who is that? That would be Mississippi State. I thought they it was a new stadium last year. Hey, Dad. Yeah, but it, it, was, it was only half done. This is this is the grand unveiling. Um, what, Is there going to be like a weekend where there is an actual, like a grand opening, a, a dedication ceremony type thing? I think that's I think that's coming up actually. They're not. I don't know that's. It may be this weekend. Let me double check my releases here because they, there was something sent out about the uh, how to put it. The you know they're going to have the, the the statues will be unveiled this week. Yeah. Here What's it, the Haydad statue schedule. look like? <laughs> it's big. It's a lot of bronze. Who who all is getting a thing. statue? Uh, there will be a statue of Will Clark and Rafael Palmero in front of the uh, the stadium. Just those two. Yeah, and they called it Thunder and Lightning. Can you believe that? The ripoff. You got to no. set up out in front of it one day and record a podcast at it just to be petty. We, we will at the very least. Joel Joel Coleman and I will go out there and take a photograph. Uh, so yeah, the on Friday there's the ribbon cutting at one thirty. The gates open at two. Ron Polk is throwing out the first pitch on Friday. And then the game will start. Hmm. Well, that's cool. I mean, there are a lot of wounds that have had to heal for Ron Polk to yeah. be throwing out the first pitch on. John Friday. Cohen has made that a priority. He has he has wanted to get Ron Polk back to Mississippi State baseball, and he, you know, when State closed down Duty Noble when they, you know, at the end of the uh, seventeen season, Polk did a video. He he didn't he didn't come to the final game. And I think they've they've just they've just basically made it clear like you you have to do this, so he's coming. Well, that's good. I'm sure he'll get a nice uh, nice ovation. He should look. The stadium is unbelievable. 
absolutely gorgeous. Supposed to get a media tour this week. I'm looking forward to that. Well, when is that happening? I don't know. They they they, they haven't given us the correct day. I hope it's not Wednesday because that's when we're supposed to be uh, in Jackson all together. I believe, right? We need to have these conversations off the air, hey, Dad. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's no problem. Uh, no, I'd love to see that. I, I want the the grand tour. We need. We just need to do a remote up here. And but next weekend, state's playing USM. Let's let's come up here on Friday. We'll have to see about that. All right. If you're listening over at Mississippi State, give me a call or email me Borky at supertalk.fm. We'll work something out. Maybe we have a private tour somewhere along the way. Yeah. Um, Sports Talk Mississippi with you. You can text the show 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Phillips says they're doing a ring of honor on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah, the Ron Polk Ring of Honor uh, will be dedicated at 11.30 a.m. Uh, and Jeff Brantley, Will Clark, the family of Boo Ferris, the family of Duty Noble, Raphael Palmero, and Ron Polk will all be there. Is there any pushback on the let's put a statue of Raphael Palmero out there? Not from MSU people. I mean, and I know, I, I know what people are going to say, but no, there's not any. His name is still on the Palmero Center. No, I understand that. I, I get that, but I mean, there was there was money donated for that. I mean, I get it. Maybe, I understand what you're saying, but no, there's just not any. Okay. Um, you want to be a part of the conversation? You can. You can tweet the show at Sports Talk M I S S. Sports Talk M I S S. Glad to have you along. So. It gets better once we get a couple of weeks into the season. There was the push in basketball to make schedules better. Are we going to see that with baseball, with this opening weekend schedule like this, or is baseball just fine because you play 60 games and everybody plays at least one good weekend series? Nobody's going to change that with the SEC as dominant as it is. The SEC was bad in basketball. That's why they had to make the change. Yeah, fair enough. Here we go, 5 o'clock hour with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online, supertalk.fm, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott, Rippy. Hey, Dad, had to scoot. He'll be back with us to lead things off tomorrow. Glad to be with you on this Monday. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online, mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. You can find a branch location near you at the website, scattered across North Mississippi. You can also grab the phone number. Why would you call them? Well, maybe because you're thinking about building a dream home. Maybe you're going to buy a piece of property that is going to be a piece of hunting land just for you. Maybe it's the fishing hole that you've been dreaming of. Maybe it's just a spot to get away. Well, not only can Mississippi Land Bank help you with the purchase, they might be able to help you find exactly what it is that you're looking for. They operate in the land business in North Mississippi every single day, so they're kind of in the know. Fantastic people that you're dealing with at Mississippi Land Bank. Again, the website, mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. The YouTube wormhole but got me. It got me during the break, Borky. It was the UFC... 
let's get it on that then went to Bruce Buffer, who I didn't know was a person. I, I didn't realize that Michael Br- Buffer had a brother, or a half-brother, apparently, who's a wrestling announcer. Michael Buffer's the boxing announcer. I have no clue. I just Wikipedia it. Yeah. Michael Buffer's the let's get it on guy, and his brother Bruce is the it's time guy. Anyway. Right now, it's time for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out about all that Ford has to offer. Cars, trucks, vans, SUVs, including the best-selling truck in America for the last 40-plus years, the F-150 you can test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealer today. Um, I think good news today out of Hattiesburg. It sounds like some fences have been mended that one way or another, everybody is now on the same page. We're not going to rehash the stories of last week. Spent a lot of time talking about Southern Miss football as it pertains to assistant coaches and whether or not Art Bryles was going to be hired and what Jay Hobson had the authority to do and when he had to do it and who knew what, when, and et cetera. And it was kind of a messy week. And hopefully this statement today from Dr. Rodney Bennett, the president at um, – at Southern Miss, will kind of allow all parties to move forward. Not 100% sure that that's possible, but I hope it's the case. A statement released by Dr. Bennett. University of Southern Mississippi head football coach Jay Hobson and I have spoken on multiple occasions in recent days and met face-to-face over the weekend to chart the most successful path forward for the Southern Miss football program. Coach Hobson assured me of his commitment to overseeing a program that upholds the values of the University of Southern Mississippi. I know Coach Hobson to be a man of high ethics and integrity, and I assured him of the university's dedication to continuing our winning tradition. Our conversation included many topics, including the events of the past week. As a matter of practice, Coach Hobson seeks approval from and works in good faith with athletic administration on prospective student-athletes who have special or unique circumstances for admission to the university, consistent with university protocol. Additionally, Coach Hobson notified the university of his desire to meet with Art Bryles, which is his right to do so as head football coach and is in line with normal university processes. After an intentional and thorough review of Mr. Bryles' candidacy, I expressed my reservations and ultimately that review led to the decision that Mr. Bryles was not a viable candidate. I consider the matter closed, and I'm looking forward to working with Coach Hobson on our mutual priorities and shared goals for Southern Miss football and how it contributes to our vision for the university. So, that is a... Very conciliatory public statement from the university president. 
I think Jay Hobson is a level-headed guy. I really do. I mean that. And I think Jay Hobson is a guy... I, I'm taking a little bit of a leap here, okay? So, so you'll just... If this is wrong, you'll have to forgive me. And if it turns out I'm wrong, so be it. Not the first time I've been wrong. But I think Jay Hobson is the guy, kind of guy who will take what the university president says at face value and move on and not spend a ton of time continuing to dwell on it. I don't think the repre- the the relationship between Hobson and Bennett is irreparable. It may be a little strained. But my guess is that those two men will not allow that to show up publicly. I believe that Jay Hobson believes, and frankly more than believes, I think he was given permission, whether it was tacit or not, to move forward with a discussion to hire Art Bryles. And I don't think that permission came from the university president. But it came from a place where Jay Hobson believed, I'm covered, I'm good on that. And then the backlash was such that they weren't able to go forward with the hire. That's what I believe to be true. And despite being on different pages, the fact that these two guys have had multiple conversations and had a sit-down meeting over the weekend, even if they still disagree, respectfully or less than respectfully, with each other and how they look at this particular decision, my guess is they'll move past it. And they're going to move past it for the good of the university. But let's just be real for a second. I think the two of these guys are going to move past it for their own good as well. Because there's not a lot to be gained by engaging in a fight that you're not entirely sure you can win. If you're the head football coach, you don't want to be at war with your boss. And if you're the boss and you have a wildly popular head football coach who's got great public support, you don't want to be at war with him. Because you could find yourself looking for a job if the right boosters begin to push. And so in the name of self-preservation, it makes a whole bunch of sense. In my view, my opinion only, for Jay Hobson and Rodney Bennett to be on the same page, at the very least, publicly. But I think they put the matter behind them and they just move on. What do you think about all that, Borky? It's what it feels like, right? I mean, in, at the end of the day, all is well that ends well, and injecting my opinion here, the... the Ultimately, the right decision was made. Art Bryles is not on your campus. Everything's all good. The statement, it is a statement written by a some kind of media professional from the university, but it says everything it needs to say. I think everything's all good here, right? 
Don't you feel like there's an element to this to where it got to a point to where they were like, all right, some of this kind of reached a level of unnecessary, like the world's going to keep turning whether you agree, disagree with the decision, and they kind of just put it behind them? Yeah. Because it blew up quick. Like, it was one thing that he was being interviewed, but then you had the them two publicly disagreeing in two different statements, and it 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 seemed like much to do about something that maybe not, wasn't necessarily worth it, and it sounds like they realized that and are kind of moving forward together. Yeah. Kind of like what your parents used to say when you were a kid. If you just told me the truth the first time, it wouldn't be as bad. But since you lied to me, now you're grounded for two months instead of two weeks. It's kind of how I, I felt like this. It's They didn't have to. If they would have just not had those dueling statements and stuff, this would have ended in the middle of last week instead of on Monday of the next week. But nevertheless, it ended. And it sounds like they're on the same page and it's all good. Back to football. Sports Talk Mississippi with you and the Renaissance Bank Studio. That's your college football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. All right, Borky, how about a Twitter poll? You want to do a Twitter poll? Let's do a Twitter poll. Yeah, throw out a Twitter poll. It's been a little while. All right, Twitter poll right now. And text us your answer as well if you're not the Twittering type. But here's the question. Did you watch the AAF? And there's going to be four responses. Yes, and you will again. Yes, but you will not again. No, but you plan to watch in the future. Or no, and you are not going to watch at all. Okay. So did you watch the AAF this weekend? I'm going to say that the order of responses will be this. The highest percentage of people will say yes and will again. The second highest percentage of people will say no, but I plan to. Third place will be no and never will. And fourth place will be yes, but I won't again. I might swap second and third, but I generally agree with that. So yes and I will again. No, but I plan to. No, and I never will. Yes, but I won't watch it again. From based off, and this is based off Twitter, which is like not reality, but it seems like it's like kind of polarizing. Like, doesn't it seem like most people are like, yes, I'd watch it again, or no, I'm not watching. I didn't watch it, and I'm not watching that. Well, it feels like people were expecting the second coming of the NFL. Like the offensive line play wasn't very good, and, and I saw people. Like, Ross Tucker got into it with some fans that were like, well, how can I watch this? The offensive lines aren't very good, and so they're not running the ball very well. It's like, what do you think is going to happen when it's a bunch of guys that aren't good enough to play in the NFL but are fringe enough to still be playing professional football? And I guarantee you half those people watch Maction on Tuesday nights. Exactly. It, It felt like good college football. I mean, I thought it was fine. Like, it wasn't like it was some clown show out there. Like, it, it was entertaining. Yeah. The Orlando offense looked good in a 40-6 to win against Atlanta. A little Philly special from Steve Spurrier. Philly, Philly. Garrett Gilbert, the former Texas quarterback, caught a touchdown pass on Philly special. He looks good. Spurrier had a couple great lines, too. Oh, yeah? So he sent it in the walkie-talkie, and he calls a play, and you know he says whatever football jargon it is, and he goes, tell him to catch it this time. 
And then he had a second one after the game. What he said, I've coached six teams, and I've been fortunate enough to win my first game with all of those teams, including the Redskins, which isn't easy to do. <laughs> <laughs> What's up with the um, like the calling in bomb coordinates walkie-talkie? We gotta we gotta take the technology and advance it just a step beyond, so that Steve Spurrier can have on a headset and talk to his coaches in the box, but he can also call in plays to his quarterback. Right? Well, do you think it, it, that the walkie-talkie is more conducive to us hearing it on the broadcast? That's what I was guessing. Maybe not. Yeah, I think they have two, so we can hear. In one headset, we can hear what they're saying, and in the walkie-talkie, he can talk to his quarterback. And even if you hate this football league, it, they do some cool stuff that's going to make the NFL act more rationally, it would seem. Some uh, some text messages. AAF had more viewers than the NBA this weekend. That is true. Yeah, it beat. It was right up against not just any NBA game. It was up against uh, Rockets and Thunder. So James Harden, Paul George, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook. Barely beat it, but it still beat it. Amanda in Pike County says, fifth answer, no, but I might. Okay. Tony in Columbia. Oh, this is actually a really, really interesting question. Let me hit pause on this for a second. New Heisel can still coach. Text message. Agreed. You think Rick New Heisel parlays this into a college football job? Very well could. Well, you think, what is it? Uh, Power 5 FBS, like what are you What are you thinking? Oh, no, I'm thinking Power 5 job. Really? I mean, that's my question. I don't, Rick, Rick Neuheisel's not going to coach at Samford. No, but like Mac, like a Mac school or something like that? Nah, I don't think so. I mean, this is a guy that's been a head coach at Colorado, Washington, and UCLA. And now a professional coach in a new league. You have a really diverse variety of coaches too, because you have some like older guys that have been around. Then you, what's the Tim Lewis who coaches the Iron? That was his first win as a head coach ever. Yeah, he had been what a he had been a defensive coordinator somewhere. He was a defensive coordinator with Pittsburgh and maybe the Giants and a position coach in the NFL for forever. I'm really impressed by their quarterback. I don't know how much of that game you watched, but Luis Perez. Never played high school football. Yeah. Um, Mike Singletary still not a very good coach. (laughs) He had Hackenberg. Christian Hackenberg is just God bless him. A quarterback Mm. at the professional level is just not in his future. All right. So this was Tony's question: Could Alabama or Clemson beat any of the AAF teams? Oh God. No, okay, we can be dismissive of that when no, no, it no, is no, when it's could Bama or Clemson beat the Browns or beat the Jets or beat the you know what whoever the worst team by a long shot is at the NFL at, at any given time, we go down this road. Well, I think this is a different question. No, my answer would my response to that was more geared toward I would think absolutely. Because which team has more NFL players on it, Alabama or these guys? I I still think these AAF teams would would beat them, but it would be much closer. Really? Because I mean, 
all of these guys still played in the NFL or got shots in the NFL, and they're older. Not all of them. Yeah, a lot. Like most there were of very them were at few least in a training camp. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these are guys like, for example, I lost my train of thought here. Uh, but Look, he there's a right. reason Matt Sims isn't in the NFL though. Right, and I mean, Luis Perez was with the Rams. Went and camped with the Rams, but ultimately didn't make the roster, and he still looked like he could play. I mean, Beniquez Brown was probably the best player on the field. He's an older guy, played in the SEC, was really good in the SEC. Don't you think that the element of age plays a factor? So, Clemson against the Atlanta Legends. Who looked pretty bad on Saturday. In Death Valley at night. Bama hosting the Arizona Hotshots at Bryant-Denny on a Saturday night. But here's the thing. The backup quarterback for Atlanta is Aaron Murray. Broke records, won tons of games at Georgia, can't start Look, brother, I'm here to tell you, if if Aaron Murray can't beat out Matt Sims, I'm not scared of him. He's not as good as Trevor Lawrence. Murray's never been the same since that leg injury, but but the converse of that, Borky, is how do you see Christian Hackenberg going in there moving the football (laughs) against a Clemson defense? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I can see it both ways. Hey, if that franchise doesn't put Zach Mettenberger in week two, they they might as well just fold because... You you don't think Alabama's wide receivers could get open against those secondaries? And you can only rush five? That's what I... Some of those teams almost didn't seem to know the rules. How many... Did you see how many of those illegal formations on the defense they called? Illegal defense penalties. 15-yard penalty. Can't rush more than five. It's a really good question. I I still lean the older guys. And it's not like this is just a bunch of dudes. It's guys that played high level college football and most, if not all, there's a couple guys that have only played in the Canadian Football League that, that were referenced, but I can't remember a time where they like pulled up the profile of a player or talked about a player and he didn't have college plus he played two years for the 49ers attached to him. Did the game suffer by not having a kickoff? Not for a second. I, the pace of play was refreshing, honestly. Yeah, I do 30 miss... 30-second game clock? Play clock? That's fast. It is fast, and there were a couple delay of games just because things happened and it just came up on them quickly. The kickoff thing, the beginning of the games were uneventful. The ceremonial placing of the football is not as cool as a kickoff. Even though nothing happens on kickoffs in the NFL anymore, just having that thing that you talked about, you know, when's kickoff? But in the AAF, it's when does the guy place the ball on the 25? The pregame show leading up to Saturday, they didn't say kickoff 15 minutes away. Uh, It was hosted by, hmm, I can't remember her name. She was hosting the pregame show, and she said, first snap, just 12 minutes away, the debut of the AAA, you know, whatever it was. We're not hearing kickoff, though. Other than the novelty, you didn't miss it. Um, I missed the AAF games, but was it like the sequel to the Replacements movie? That's from Joel at Pickwick. Nah, not 
not really. It's a good movie. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. So, guys, it feels like this whole secondary football league is about to be a crowded marketplace because you had the AAF, which announced after the XFL under Vince McMahon made the announcement that they were coming back. But when Vince McMahon made the announcement, he said, we're going to take our time on this. We're going to get it right this time. They're taking two years to do it. And the league is self-financed by Vince McMahon, who is a billionaire. The AAF came along later and basically came along with the support of CBS. Charlie Ebersole is the president. Is he the owner of the league? Does he own all eight franchises? I think I think he does. Guys are making like seven grand a game. And they got a good TV package. The XFL still kind of figuring out what they're going to do, although the news on Wednesday, so Wednesday or Thursday, I just happened to be, when I was in Dallas on Thursday, I had the news on Thursday night. It was a big deal because they announced on Thursday that Bob Stoops is the head coach of the Dallas franchise of the XFL. And I saw an, uh, you know a, a short on-camera interview with Oliver Luck, who's the president of that league. Oliver Luck's running the league. That's the dad of Andrew Luck, former athletics director at West Virginia, highly successful sports executive, and a guy that's thought of really highly. And basically the question was, and, and the reporter kind of led him down this road, was I, I feel like Bob Stoops wouldn't be signing up to be part of kind of a sideshow. And Oliver Luck certainly took the bait. He goes, um, if this was not a serious league, Bob Stoops wouldn't be a part of it. And if this were not a serious venture, a serious league, I wouldn't be a part of it either. So, I mean, there's an angle there where you go, well, if you pay somebody a bunch of money, they'll do just about anything. The The question for me is, can both of these leagues survive? If they both succeed, they're probably eventually merging. I think that's the only way they both succeed, right? I mean, is there real? Everybody loves football, and if our poll is scientific at all, eight um, percent of people aren't going to watch it or won't watch it again. So it's really well received this extra football league. But how much of a thirst is there really for football in March? So having two competing leagues against each other for the same smaller slice of the pie seems counterproductive. So if they merge, make the league bigger, and the XFL is in all NFL cities except for St. Louis. It's in Dallas, Houston, L.A., New York, Seattle, aforementioned St. Yeah. Louis, Tampa, and D.C. So it would make sense for them to merge because they're not competing against each other in markets I don't know. I think that's the only way they would both survive. Well, I was actually going to point out exactly what you were saying. So with the with the Alliance, Orlando, Atlanta has a team, San Antonio and San Diego, Birmingham, Memphis, 
Arizona, okay, it's in Tempe, which is Phoenix Metro, and obviously you got the Cardinals there, and then Salt Lake City. So only two of the eight teams are in NFL markets. And then to your point, Borky, on the XFL side of things, Dallas, they're going to play at Globe Life, which is the Rangers Stadium. Houston, they're going to play at the University of Houston Stadium. Los Angeles, the StubHub Center, so that's a, a soccer stadium. And it, that's, is that where the Rams played this year also? Chargers. Chargers played there this year. Now, in New York, they're playing at MetLife. I mean, an 80,000-seat stadium. Seattle, they're playing at Century League. In St. Louis, they're going to the Dome, where the Rams used to play. Tampa, they're using Raymond James Stadium. And then in Washington, D.C., they're going with Audi Field, which is the soccer stadium. It seats 20,000. It's a brand-new Really nice-looking place for whatever it's worth. What's interesting to me is Borky kind of hit on it earlier. If you're trying, like it seems like since you just got done with the NFL and every no one's really starved for football yet, why not throw this in the dead of summer where there's nothing else but like baseball and training camp on? And then it leads into the you know traditional football yeah. season. That's another layer to this is. The, the ratings numbers for the AAF were good this weekend, and people seem to like it, so they're going to keep watching. But what happens when Marsh Madness consumes three weekends in March? Um, How will it stack up then? It's a good question. So, what? You've got Dallas has named Bob Stoops. Has got, have there, are have there been any other named coaches in the XFL? There was a report out there that the XFL could reportedly be hiring a former NFL head coach. Um, Bob Stoops is going to be the head coach and the GM of the Dallas franchise. So I don't know if there are any... Uh... I think that's the only one. Okay. It's a heck of a start. I mean, if if you're going to be serious about having an alternative league, Bob Stoops is a really good place to begin that seriousness. I think you there appears to be a tab on their website where you can apply to be a coach. Are you thinking about doing that? Hey, Rippy, let's apply. I'll throw a resume in there. <laughs> so Donald in Oxford says, I foresee an XFL-AAF cage match for the title. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great, though. I mean, if they... That, I think, should be the ultimate goal. Beyond being the minor league for the NFL, but just for the leagues themselves, because eight teams... Well, what's a champion in an eight-team league? You know, what is a champion so, of So eight you teams? go to... Somebody pointed the old AFC-NFC merger. That you could say... You know, the question for me would be... One of the other leagues buys each other out, right? So... Is that what has me, to happen, or can they partner? Well, maybe they could partner. But if you've got <clears throat> slightly differing philosophies, can you get past those? Or has Vince McMahon created a massive piece of real estate that he's going to be able to sell to Charlie Ebersole and some investor group for $2 billion? Wouldn't you think, in terms of means to do so, it would be the other way around? McMahon would buy the AAF. 
Do you think the NFL would be as interested in working with Vince McMahon as a partner as they would with somebody who's viewed more seriously? That's a pretty good point. I mean, it, I, 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 I mean, and that's not to to shortchange the success of Vince McMahon. He has, in some ways, Vince McMahon has has been kind of the twenty first century's P.T. Barnum. Like he 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 has put the circus out there, and he's had people come in droves to watch the circus come to town, and has been wildly successful doing it. And has gone through mergers with rival entities before. You know, whether it was WWF into the WWE and what was the was it TNT wrestling? That that was the, the offshoot. What was the other big wrestling deal? Where's Hey Dad when you need him? Yeah. Well, for, forgive me for not remembering, but there was a there were competing wrestling leagues, for back of, lack of a better way to describe it. Because you had Monday Night Raw and then you had something else. Anyway, Vince McMahon has been wildly successful. And he's a promoter. And WCW, that's it. Thank you. Many of you responded quickly. You had the WWE and the WCW. And basically... WWE is one out. So, anyway, I don't know where this goes ultimately. I but think, the idea of merging these two leagues into one, if, let's say the, the, the alliance is reasonably successful for the next three or four years, and the XFL has two or three years of success at, at some level, it would certainly make sense to take those two leagues, they combine into one developmental league, they get a better TV deal, you've got 16 teams and a bunch of good markets, and you go from there. That seems to make sense. That's just me, though. I don't have a billion dollars invested in the thing like Vince McMahon's going to have. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. What's coming?
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.